What do you think about things that are acquired secondhand? What do you think about things that are acquired secondhand? You can contract cancer from breathing secondhand smoke. You can clothe your body by wearing secondhand clothing. And you can pass along a rumor by repeating a story from a secondhand source. Secondhand can be a powerful force, can it? I have another question. But can you catch Christian faith secondhand? This is precisely the question posed to us today in the gospel message. As John relates the story of the encounter between Jesus and the Apostle Thomas on the second Sunday after Easter. Recall the scene. With anxiety and trembling, the apostles gathered in the upper room for fear of the Jewish authorities. It felt safe to them because that was the place where Jesus had celebrated the Seder with them. The room where he had washed their feet and encouraged their hearts with his final words before he was taken from them. The memories of those intimate moments with the Master lingered in their minds and gave them a strange sense of security at the end of that face faithful and dark weekend. But how different was the feel of this gathering? Early on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus was in their midst, they stumbled all over each other with their words of bravado and courage, their profession of faith and loyalty. They felt they could take on the world. But now, just three days later, these same men are huddled together in fear, like children hiding under the bed during a thunderstorm. They jump at the sound of the rustling wind or the sound of children playing in the streets outside their locked doors. When you're terrified, Everyone and everything is a threat, whether real or imagined. And these disciples were terrified. What melted the courage and faith of these disciples between Monday, Thursday and Easter Sunday night? It was the absence of Jesus. Jesus had been the hub that kept their spokes connected to the axle of God's kingdom. He was the center and source of their faith. Without Jesus to hold them together and transform them into champions, they were just a double handful of men. Men who would not even be friends, much less partners in a history-changing enterprise. And as far as they knew, Jesus was gone, taken by the cruel hand of betrayal 
from one of their own inner circle and the cowardly fist of the Roman Empire. If ever there was proof needed for the resurrection, this is it. This huddled bunch of terrified disciples could never have mustered the ingenuity to make up the story of the risen Christ. <clears throat> and even more, they could never have mustered the courage necessary to die for the story of the resurrection if they suspected it to be false. There is one way and only one way to explain that transformation in this frightened bunch of men into champions and martyrs of the faith that they would become almost overnight. Jesus had come back into their midst. Jesus came back from the dead just as he had promised and appeared to them. And he breathed into them his authority and entrusted to them the continuation of the mission he started with them three years ago. This is the story the Apostle John tells us in today's gospel. Then notice how immediate was the transformation from crouching fear to courageous faith. Think of the other sacred reading we heard this morning from the book of Acts. It tells of the earliest days of the church in language that shows the total and radical transformation of those early believers. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, the same disciples were set free from the clutches of their huddled fear to proclaim boldly their faith to the same Jewish authorities who had crucified their Lord. And they opened their wallets to the needy as boldly they opened their mouths in witness to the world. The result, the world watched them with stunned astonishment, amazed at their boldness and drawn by their contagious love. There is no doubt Jesus had come back and he was alive in each and every one of them. Now in the first half of today's gospel lesson, we are told that all but one of the disciples was present. Thomas was absent. Why was he absent? Where was Thomas? We do not know. Scripture does not tell us. We can only speculate. Did he not get the memo? Was he in hiding all by himself, too afraid to risk being caught with the other disciples so soon after Jesus' crucifixion? Had he already fled Jerusalem to return to his old way of life? All we know is that he was not there in the room that first night 
Jesus appeared to the disciples. Haven't we all missed important moments by choice or by chance? If only Thomas had known Jesus would appear, surely he would have been there. One simple missed appointment. Sometimes history turns on such small hinges. But now, just one week later, Thomas is in the upper room with the others. But he just can't be convinced by their fantastic and enthusiastic witness to the resurrection. Thomas is a reasonable man. He's not a bad man. He just has doubts. But that does not mean that he has no faith, nor does it mean that he has a lower capacity for faith. Thomas just cannot catch faith secondhand. He wants to handle faith himself. He wants to wrestle with the question and mystery of faith on his own. And in this, he is not alone among the followers of Jesus. <clears throat> Down through the centuries, even up to the present day, for one, C.S. Lewis comes to mind. Many of the great champions of the Christian faith throughout the centuries have come to faith by way of the path of Thomas. Only after rigorous intellectual examination and through a disciplined path of curiosity and questioning. Thomas cannot simply check his brain at the door. His integrity and his intellectual acumen will not allow him to hold to a faith that is unquestioned unexamined or borrowed from others. His will be no second-hand faith. Indeed, it cannot be. And now I want, to, want you to notice something crucial. Jesus is not upset by Thomas's questions or his need for closer examination. Jesus is not offended by ours either. There is always room around Jesus for Thomases and for those like him who can only come to authentic faith by means of questions, handling and wrestling with faith themselves. Christian faith is never intimidated or offended by honest questions, by searching doubts, or by rational thinking. Although not everyone must come to faith the way Thomas did, <clears throat> all of us must claim faith for ourselves. Christianity is influenced by the community of faith. It is preserved by the church. It is nurtured in the Christian home. But in the end, each of us must come to terms with the claims of Christianity for ourselves. It cannot be caught like the flu or borrowed like a lone sweater. 
It is always a personal journey each of us must make to Jesus. I want you to recall something else, too. Scripture tells us that after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days on earth appearing to the apostles, reminding them of what he had said and what he had done in his ministry with them, and giving them the opportunity to question him in light of the resurrection about some of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah which he fulfilled. Taking a page out of God's book, the church does the very same thing. We have 40 days between now and Pentecost. And in those 40 days, Jesus, standing at this pulpit and speaking through the clergy who will bring the teachings and preaching to you about the authenticity, the authenticity of the resurrection, you will have a chance to question, to ask, to consider Jesus' words to us. I beg you to be here with us for these next six weeks and listen to what I like to refer to as a remedial course in Christianity which is what Jesus conducted for the apostles, and now he will conduct for you. Be here, listen, and take advantage of the opportunity that you have to accept the Holy Spirit that comes to us on Pentecost Day and gives us the ability to go before Jesus and to say in the words of Thomas, You are my Lord and my God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>